Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome into another episode of Equal Play. I'm your host, Annie Costable. This week, we welcome in Athletes Unlimited volleyball star Simone Abbott. Before we get to that conversation, here are some of this week's hot headlines that you absolutely need to know about. Naomi Osaka beat Jennifer Brady in straight sets to win the Australian Open. If you're on Twitter, if you're breathing, if you're alive, I'm sure you already heard this hot headline, but this was her fourth Grand Slam title. Osaka has won every Grand Slam final she's reached in her career at just 23 years old. Can we please take a moment for Naomi? Mm. In case you missed it, the U.S. Women's National Team won its first match of the She Believes Cup thanks to a late goal by Rose Lavelle. Lavelle came in with just about 30 minutes left in the match, and in the 79th minute, Kristen Press's free kick rebounded back to Lavelle, who connected in the low near corner. This win extended the U.S. Women's National Team's 20-year unbeaten run against Canada to 36 matches. 20 years unbeaten. That's phenomenal. The U.S. faced Brazil Sunday at 2 p.m. Central Time on FS1. Vlako Andonovsky had this to say about the team's performance against Canada. Quote, when we create 10 opportunities to score and we score one, I'm disappointed because I want us to score more goals. And on top of that, if we allow any shots to goal, I'm not going to be happy. And I thought that tonight they had a couple of good opportunities to score. We're going to look into it. We're going to look into it a little bit deeper and figure out why that happened. Again, the U.S. Women's National Team plays Brazil on Sunday at 2 p.m. Central Time. Don't miss it. In Chicago news, defender Bianca St. George took to Instagram to let fans know that she had to return to Chicago from the She Believes Cup after tearing her meniscus in training with the Canadian national team. The injury required surgery, and St. George said she will be documenting her road to recovery and the 2021 Tokyo Olympics on TikTok. This was St. George's first camp with the senior national team, and you can read more about St. George and the Red Stars at the chicagosuntimes.com slash soccer. All right, that's all the news I have for you today. Now let's get to my conversation with Athletes Unlimited Volleyball's Simone Abbott. On this week's episode of Equal Play, I'm so thrilled to welcome in Athletes Unlimited outside hitter Simone Abbott, who formerly played for Northwestern from 2014 to 2017 before pursuing a professional volleyball career in Turkey, Italy, and France. Simone, I am so thrilled to have you on. You are our first volleyball guest. So this is exciting. That is exciting. I'm happy to see you. Thank you so much for making the time. I know you are very busy in Dallas preparing for the Athletes Unlimited season to get started. So let's just dive right into things. 
first things first, volleyball. When did you first figure out this was your sport? This was where your future was headed? Um, probably sixth or seventh grade. Um, I wasn't making the teams like the middle school or the um, like mini teams, but I just knew I loved it. And I didn't really care how bad it was. So probably around like 12 or 11 or 12 years old. Were there moments in your childhood, you know, before obviously making it to Northwestern, where you thought about the struggle of playing volleyball and pursuing a career in volleyball in that there isn't a ton of investment, especially after college being made into the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not thinking about after college. Um, my mom and I were mainly thinking about the financial gain we would have from not having to pay for college and you know, mm-hmm. all those years of club, like my mom would get those back tenfold, um, especially how expensive Northwestern is to attend. Right. Uh, but no, we, cause there's really no, there's even worse than volleyball when it comes to like financial, like get back. Like, cause some women's sports don't even have scholarship opportunities like um, cheerleading or some dance teams. It's really not uh, applicable, but yeah, we were not thinking about after college at all. We were really focused on just full ride, full scholarship, and then take it from there. Did you have women that you looked up to in the sport? Were you watching women play? Were you aware of professional women playing this sport? I know I would watch a lot of volleyball. I think I watched college. I didn't really know that pro existed. I know it, it did when I was growing up, but I didn't know about it. Um, I would watch Penn State, Texas, those big names, those um, those collegiate games. You know, you mentioned earlier in our conversation that volleyball wasn't a dream in a sense of playing pro one day. You had the goal of playing collegiately and, and having college paid for, which is, man, I wish I would have dedicated myself to sports when I was growing up. But uh, that's besides the point. So when did it click for you that you did have the opportunity to play professionally? Did someone approach you about it or did you start to learn more about leagues overseas? When did it hit you that you could continue your career? Uh, Probably. I mean, I knew I knew about professional volleyball by my freshman or sophomore year, but it was kind of just like, I know I'm going to play pro, but I have no idea how that's going to happen. I didn't even know the tangible steps of how, I, how do you, an agent, like none of that stuff. I had no idea. Um, when I fit my uh, assistant coach in Northwestern, Erin Virtue, she's also one of the USA coaches. So she has a lot of experience helping players get to that next level. Mm-hmm. And we would just be talking and she would mention it in conversation. So again, I just kind of knew, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go play pro. But um, I didn't get an agent until you can't speak to agents. You can't talk to anything or anyone or anything about that until your last pro- or collegiate game. So a lot of my learning was in the moment right after my last season, like, a couple weeks before I went overseas. So there wasn't a lot of preparation at all. That is just so interesting to me. And I'm so glad you brought that up because it makes sense that collegiate athletes aren't able to communicate with agents before their collegiate careers are over. But we think about that from the perspective of men and 
young men who are playing professional football or transitioning to professional basketball, whatever the sport is, there's more understanding and there's more, there's more information on the professional league. I mean, shoot, we, we know how to transition from college to professional football. It's, it's, it's just more clear cut for all of us. So that's kind of a disadvantage for women. When you think about it, that they're not able to communicate about professional volleyball in this case until your final game when really you need to be preparing and understanding the league you're about to enter into. So what's your perspective on that? Did you feel like that held you back at all? Definitely. My first year overseas, I was in Italy um, and I was completely unprepared. I was fortunate enough to get a contract, but I couldn't even really give everything I had to that team because I was just trying to like stand on two feet. Um, I got my agent in a week. I was gone in a week and I'm overseas. There's just, I have no Americans on my team. Um, I just didn't, there was nothing that I was ready or expecting. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of just having to adjust on the fly. And it's so hard to focus on your craft when you're literally just trying to figure out how to live, like how to get food, how to drive a stick. Like there were so many different things that I just had no idea how to do. Um, I think it took away from the impact I could have made my first season. Definitely. You know what? That needs to be addressed. And I'm really glad we're having this conversation about it because again, not to harp on this fact, but just thinking about football, for example, a player is brought in for interviews. They go through their pro day. They start to understand through their agent, which team is going to draft them. They have a clear understanding of where they're going to go, how it's going to work and how to make that transition. And even if they don't understand how to make that transition, they have a million people around them supporting them to, to make a successful transition. And on the opposite end, you have women who are pursuing professional careers as athletes. And there is none of that. One person maybe that can help you. And your agent might not even he's your agent. He's not your dad. Like he's not going to walk you through the process. Like he's right. just you there and then kind of lets you go free. How many agents did you have pursue you or did you talk to before signing with your one agent that you did? Yeah. Our last game was Maryland. And then the next day I had 20 to 25 Facebook messages from different uh, foreign agents, uh, a few domestic agents, but there's not so many domestic agents. Um, and then I ended up picking mine. His name is Eduardo and he's Italian, um, through a connection I had with, uh, Hannah Tapp. She is a middle blocker. I think she's in Japan right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's great. He's been my agent since day one. I've only had him and no complaints. So this transition to playing overseas obviously presented a lot of challenges for you that you, you know, mentioned earlier in our conversation, but when did you start to feel like you got your footing overseas? Um, It's difficult because now that I'm here playing in this league, I feel like I never had my footing because here I feel in AU pro sports, I feel like I'm playing my best game. I feel like I have, I have control and consistency over the way I play. I just feel like I have it all together. And I guess I thought I was that way overseas, but it's tough because it's possible obviously to be successful and play overseas, but 
when you compare it to playing with people that come from the same country that speak the same language, I just feel like the ceiling is so much higher for how much better you can get. And who knows like how good some girls who maybe quit earlier or retired, you know, because it was just too difficult. Who knows who, where they could have gone or how good they could have been if they just were playing in a country that they were familiar with. Um, so I guess to answer your question, I, not today, like I've never, I've never truly really felt like I had everything under control. Um, but I mean, I have, I'm quick on my feet. You know, I use my athleticism um, and my communication skills to get ahead, but it is really, really difficult. And I guess I would have never known that this level of my play was possible if I hadn't, if this league wasn't happening and if this wasn't going on right now. For you, what do you wish you had overseas that you didn't? And what do you hope changes so that careers could be long lasting overseas? Hmm. I mean, when you, when you look at NBA players and, you know, they're playing until they're what, 40, 45, some, I don't know, 40 in their forties, yeah. you know, us girls, we always are like, no way. There is no way I will ever do this until I'm 40. Um, and I mean, for me personally, I've realized that it's really important for me to have an English speaking coach. Mm-hmm. Um, some players don't really need coach interaction. They're pretty much like, you know, independent, you know, they can push themselves but I need a coach to push me. It's an eight month season. Um, You're playing for a team you've never heard of with girls you don't know. There's no pride or culture that like you can internalize and, you know, use that for motivation. So um, I need a a coach to push me. I think that if we were, if we had teams like the NBA in Atlanta or, you know, DC, and let's say you're from DC or, you know, about the culture of DC and they're a winning team. And when you come in here, you have to play like this because this is how, this is the history and the culture of this team. You know, there, that doesn't, we don't know that. I don't know the culture of San Rafael, France or Ankara, Turkey. I, I have no idea. Um, so for me, I think, you know, a coach that pushes me, you know, a, a good amount of teammates that speak English. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm okay with, you know, body language and stuff like that. But when it comes to like a, a motivational perspective, like, you know, pushing yourself and like working hard and like not quitting that culture aspect, you know, it's, it's difficult to just generate that on your own. 100%. Now I want to get into sometimes a difficult conversation. Some people don't enjoy this conversation and it's challenging to talk about at times, but financially, what, what were you making in your contracts to play overseas? And were you having to supplement that income with, another job when you got back to the United States, how were you making a living? So my first year, well, I'm an outside hitter. So mm-hmm. outsides and opposites make the most money compared to the other positions. Um, I've never had to supplement my income with another job. Um, I would get jobs in the summer for resume building purposes because I don't want to, you know, play for, 10 years and then have nothing to show for it when it comes to trying to get a job in the corporate world. Right. Um, But I, I know girls that have to come home and work and, or live at home when they're home. Um, You know, when I come home, I, I love Chicago. I want to be in Chicago. And so Mm -hmm. I would get a sublet in there for the three, four months that I'm home. um, And I'm grateful that my proceeds have been able to finance that, but that's not the case for everyone. There's setters, middles, 
um, liberos that you know have to take a lower pay have to take a lower pay because overseas they would rather just use their own middles or their own setters or their own liberos. Um, but when you compare it to the monstrous amounts of money that people are making in other sports, it's a, a drop in the bucket. This opportunity then with Athletes Unlimited, first of all, when you were approached by Athletes Unlimited, how did you respond? Take me back to when you were approached by Athletes Unlimited and your reaction to what they were planning and getting the opportunity to be a part of it. Yeah, I heard about it in the summer, but I wasn't contacted by them. I heard about the grapevine and we heard about the new scoring system and me and my friends who play pro were like, what? Like we were very skeptical and it's a two month season compared to an eight month season. And we were like, what are we going to do for the other 10 months of the year? Like, you know, we just didn't really know what to, how to think about the league and how functional it would actually be. Um, but then I played in Turkey from August to December and then mm-hmm. was approached by them in December. And I had played for a half season. So when it, when it, when I thought about just playing for another two months, it kind of worked out where it was okay for me because I'm not just playing two months. I got my full four or five months in Turkey and then these two months too. So kind of together made a full season for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they, yeah. So I was much more open to it. Um, and, you know, the scoring system was a little intimidating when I first saw it. Um, but again, that's, it, it was a mental challenge. And I was like, I kind of want to do that because the, that kind of system can challenge you mentally. And, and you're, if you're not strong um, mentally, it could definitely mess you up. But I, I looked at it as an opportunity to, you know, uh, try something different. And then also just to advance the sport. I mean, we're in Dallas and Texas is a massive, massive volleyball hub. Um, so yeah, anything I could do to make this happen again, I just felt like it was my responsibility. Awesome. Before we get too much further into Athletes Unlimited, because I have a ton of questions for you regarding that, I did want to just jump back very quickly to something you said in your previous answer about always thinking about your steps you were taking outside of sports as far as a career goes. You just always had that in the back of your mind. And that's another thing I hear a lot from women in sports is that when they're pursuing a professional career, they're also thinking about their life and their career off the court and professional athletes struggle with their identity a lot, especially men when their professional career ends, it's a challenging thing to accept. And I wonder for you, do you see this as an unfortunate benefit that women in sport are always having to think about their identity outside of sport. And that has allowed so many women in sport to be multifaceted. I definitely view it as exactly that. An unfortunate benefit. Yeah. Um, Just because when you're making millions of dollars, like in the money that they're making, you don't really need to think about a plan for after because you know that you'll always be okay. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't know that. You know, like we stop playing, we're making, you know, not regular, but we're making moderate salaries, just like other Americans. And we all year after year, you know, we, we look from a year to year basis and that we don't just know we're set for like years. Um, so I've always been trying to, and then also we have to go overseas. And one of the best ways to make sure you don't lose your mind is to 
find other things that you like to do because mm-hmm. you're alone, you're away and uh, thinking about what do you want to do after? What do you like to do? Like, how do I, you know, find a purpose? Like, what's my superpower? Stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, we are definitely lucky in that aspect because we are, we're thinking about that stuff all the time. What am I going to do after this? So you mentioned the scoring system and I was really blown by the scoring system as well, but one aspect of it that really shook me was the total score determining the overall match winner that could potentially allow the losing team to win the overall match, which in volleyball, fans of volleyball obviously know there are three matches or three sets, excuse me. And then the winner of two of three wins the match. And so in this scoring system, that's not the case. What for you was the most shocking aspect just from a traditional volleyball standpoint about the scoring system? Um, probably the, that definitely. And then also the individual stats that they're taking. Um, we've never, you know, each thing is worth one point always. And I think it's kind of cool because in certain moments, some mistakes or points are worth way more than that. Like depending on when you do it, um, you know, a, a missed kill at, the, at a bad time feels like minus 10 um, and it's only minus one on the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then with the, you know, the total match point system, I think I'm kind of excited for that because if you fight and you tooth and nail and you lose 26, 24, traditionally you get nothing. That means right. you lose. But here it means something. All that work you did means something. And I just think that they're taking the league is reminding people that every point is important um, and every everything you do is important. And just because you lose a set doesn't mean you're a loser. Like you fought and you, you know, it was very close. I don't know if that's why they did that. But for me, I feel like it's good in that regard. Yeah. When I was reading it, I, I, it made me super excited to, to watch because there's so many times you're watching volleyball and you're like, man, this was so close, but unfortunately, you know, they, a team can come back, but in the end, if they don't win by two, it doesn't mean anything. So, um, for everyone listening, you could find more about the scoring system at AUProSports.com. They have all the information on the volleyball league and the scoring system again, which you're definitely going to want to read before, the league actually starts. And speaking of that, the first scrimmage is next week. What has preparation been like for this inaugural season, especially given the fact that coronavirus is still in the mix and preparation for the first matches specifically, what has it all entailed for you? Um, Definitely uh, a lot of journaling, a lot of watching video um, and just remembering the keys to each skill for me and then just developing kind of a consistency, you know, before I do this, I do this, uh, making a routine when you're in a different place. I mean, it's not that different. It's still America. When you're in a different place, it helps to make a routine so that your mind is free to focus on other stuff um, and not what you're doing, you know, day to day. Um, so a lot of mental preparation because that's just as important as physical for me. Have you been able to practice with teammates, coaches, anybody else, or has it been very individual? No, definitely. We're having full, well, there's 44 of us and we're divided in half right now. And we're just kind of playing in two groups. And then those groups are shuffled every day. So we all 
hit off of setters and pass with new passers because we, we need to see everybody so we can know who we want to pick if we're mm-hmm. captain and who we want to be on a team with. Um, so it's difficult. I mean, there's a few girls I won't play with before the scrimmage, uh, which is tough, but um, hopefully they give, we're, we're allotted time to really prepare when we have our teams and um, really lock in. Athletes Unlimited is working in partnership with USA Volleyball. What kind of opportunity, if at all, do you see this as in terms of getting on USA Volleyball's radar? I mean, the coaches for USA Volleyball are <laughs> the coaches of this league. There's, there's, they call them facilitators because they're not specifically coaches because we are professionals and, um, you know, we don't want people to think that we're, you know, getting trained like in college, mm. uh, but they, it's just so directly applicable. There's USA girls here. Like they're very connected. I think that's why this league is doing so well in the beginning because of the response by USA volleyball. Um, so I think that doing well in this league is definitely an opportunity to get seen um, and show what you got because um so, I mean, really, I think that USA looks to college for like your performance and then after college you go pro. And then, you know, if, if your professional season isn't going that well, you might not get seen. Um, but now it's like, we're in their face and I think it's just a really big opportunity. What have you learned from some of the players that you've played alongside thus far? Obviously there are world-class athletes that you're, you're playing next to, including Team USA captain Jordan Larson, Brazilian superstar Sheila Castro. How have these athletes in the short amount of time that you've been able to play alongside them Im- impacted your career or your your play? Well, unfortunately, I still have not played with Jordan. We're not in the same. We're still not in the same group, but I think I'm with her uh, on Monday. Okay. Um, then I think Bethany had just got here and then, uh, and she's quarantining. And then I think Sheila also just got here and is quarantining. Okay. Uh, so the big names I still haven't played with, but I have talked to some of my friends who, have, you know, passed next to them and it's kind of surreal. Um, and it's just like, okay, is this really happening? Like this is literally Jordan Larson right next to me. Um, but I think again, just remembering that, you know, here everyone is equal and no one is above anyone and we're all, playing for one goal. Um, And I think that if you have that mindset, then you'll be able to focus more because on paper right now, we're all at the starting line. Right. Right. Um, What has coronavirus testing been like, and what was your quarantine process like when you got to Dallas? How is athletes unlimited making sure that y'all are, you know, Mm -hmm. healthy and ready to play? Yeah. They're on us for sure. Um, we got here and then we immediately had to get tested before we even got there. We sent in a spit test to make sure we came in negative. Um, and then we were uh, shown to our hotel rooms and we stayed in them for three days. Um, but even then the quarantine period was, we couldn't leave our, the hotel. Um, but now we're out of the quarantine period, but it's still very, very strict um, masks all the time. Of course, we can't go in each other's rooms or anything like that. Um, we cannot go, you know, in any stores or convenience, anything like that. We have to order, you know, Instacart, Grubhub, everything to the hotel. Mm. Um, and then even with each other, I know we're in the bubble together, but we still can't really get, you know, uh, within six feet. Um, and then on the court, these things are kind of dwindled a bit because we're playing. So we can, you know, hug and stuff like that on the court. But when we leave the court, it's, it's 
still very strict because we want this leak to happen. And if one person gets it, then it puts everything in jeopardy. I read a little bit about you off the court and that you are pursuing a career as a marriage and family therapist. You know, you, I feel like have to be very, um, (laughs) mentally strong and also just emotionally strong. So can you describe what, what, uh, prompted you to pursue a career in um, marriage and family therapy and what steps are you taking now? I know you talked about, you know, pursuing your career outside of volleyball when you haven't been overseas. So what stage in your career as a therapist are you at? Right. So uh, what prompted it was actually just helping my friends with their relationships. They would literally come to me and I realized that a lot of them were coming to me and I was just like, why are they coming to me? But then it was because I was helping them. Um, and I was in Turkey this past season and just helped, or no, the 2019 season. And I was helping both of my, uh, male friends with their relationship at the same time. And I was real, I realized I was like, I really enjoy this. Like people usually like to talk about themselves, but I could just listen to them talk for like an hour and literally, you know, love it. Um, and so when I realized it, I was so happy because some people don't even never realize what they really want to do. Right. Um, so, and I know that you have to, a master's is required to really get started, which I don't have the time to do right now. Right. Um, but I have applied to be a crisis counselor as a volunteer um, for, it's like a hotline or a text line. Um, and you're basically trained for a few weeks and then you do like three hour shifts and you're, you're, you're on call, you're on the phone. And if anyone texts in, it's your job to just, you know, respond and talk them through whatever they're going through in the moment. Um, so that's, that's kind of my start to putting stuff on the resume and like right. seeing if I'm really good at this. Um, and also just talking to, uh, therapists, do you, how do you like it? What do you like about it? Is what are the upsides, the downsides figuring out or making sure, you know, if I like the craft, but do I like the actual job? Like mm-hmm. that's a lot more goes into it than just sitting on a couch and listening to people. Definitely. This is not an open invitation for people to hit Simone up in her DMs on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. I don't know if you're on all these platforms, but to our listeners, she she's not open and available for relationship not advice. Not licensed. <laughs> oh my God. That's so funny though, that you say you're, you're just like listening to your friends talk about their relationships and you have that realization. Cause we all know some of our friends are good at giving that relationship advice and some of them we avoid at all costs. Um, Back to volleyball. I have, you know, a few more questions for you before I let you go, but you know, there are statistics that get discussed a lot in regards to volleyball and young girls playing this sport. And that's that more girls are playing high school volleyball in the United States than are playing high school basketball. And yet the transition from high school level to collegiate level to professional level, we see this huge drop off. Mm -hmm. So for you, when considering that statistic, what kind of confidence does it give you that Athletes Unlimited has decided to invest in professional volleyball? I think that if girls in high school and middle school see that there is a league like athletes unlimited and they see us girls playing, you know, for the the Dallas shocks or whatever you, whatever you want to call it. Like, I think that 
that drop off will definitely lessen because volleyball is popular. It's just as popular as a lot of um, female sports in America that that have professional leagues in America. Um, and it's just, people are getting fooled by, you know, the fact that there's a professional league thinking that it's not popular, but it's, it's not. It's when people see that there's no professional league, you know, what do you do with it? I mean, you invest so much of your time and energy into the sport for there to be no payout at the end is really, really unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, I've given everything. I've, I've, all the things I could have done, you know, if I hadn't played volleyball, I could have, I could have done a lot of different things, you know, had a, you know, my childhood was great, but I could have, you know, painted or found hobbies or done other stuff, but it's volleyball. Um, and it, it, there needs to be, you know, like a light at the end of the tunnel, a reward for all of that work that you put in. Absolutely. You know, you mentioned earlier in our conversation that, you feel like you all are, are paving the way for the next generation of, of volleyball players and considering that thought and looking back on your career as a professional volleyball player and even playing collegiately, do you regret going down this path or are you proud to be one of the women that are making it a more stable career choice for the women of the future? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think I chose this path. It kind of chose me. I didn't, you know, find a volleyball and like force myself to like it. I was drawn to the sport. I was drawn to the way it works. The everything about it was just so fun. I was having so much fun and I just knew that I had to keep playing. Um, And, you know, I was born in 1996. I'm in the place that I am in. Like I'm it's coincidence or it's fate. I don't know. But all I know is I'm here now. Um, and I I think it's cool to be the first. I mean, yeah, it could be like way bigger down the line, you know, level players could be making millions, you know, in 20 years, but, um, I think it's cool to be the first and, um, I would rather be here than anywhere else. Absolutely. And you say that, and you are one of the first, you're one of the first that's part of this inaugural athletes unlimited season. And they've partnered with CBS sports network, Fox sports, and a bunch of digital platforms to make sure that all 30 matches are broadcast and fans are able to see them. So is this the first time in your career that you've been this visible? I know obviously at the collegiate level, games are broadcast and they're broadcast on networks like ESPN and the Big Ten Network, et cetera. But is this the first time that you're you're going to be this visible um, for the entire season? Definitely. Um, and in Turkey, we're visible. We're visible to people that, you know, I don't know, people that I don't interact with. Um, so I guess there was visibility there, but I didn't really register it. Um, here, it's professional. Like, you know, it's not college. Like, there's a standard that we're held to. And, you know, people watch sports and they want to watch a fight. They want to watch a dog fight and they want to see, you know, people giving it their all. And I think that it's a huge, huge motivational factor that people will be watching and, um, the standard that we have to hold ourselves to is really high because we, we can't just get out there and, you know, mess around. Like we're the first and if we don't give it our all, then there won't be another chance for other girls to give it their all. Definitely. And, you know, you say it's a motivational factor, but on a deeper level, what does it mean to you that that investment has been made in terms of making sure that this sport is visible to all of its fans? Yeah, I am so grateful. Um, I, I can't even put words together. We keep seeing 
you know, all of the stuff that we're given and the gym and um, how to, I mean, America, America's not perfect, but the way we run sports is really good. Like there's the organization, the planning, um, the effort that's put in, if we're going to do something, we do it a hundred percent, which is different from other, it's not the same as overseas in that, in that regard. Um, all of the, you know, gear we're getting, um, just athletes unlimited is really organizing a great league. And we just look at everything and it's like, Oh my gosh, that looks like it costs a lot. That looks like it costs a lot. That looks really expensive. And we're just so thankful that someone is willing to, you know, invest in us and, um, get this thing started because it's, it's once in a lifetime opportunity. Definitely. And not to knock gratitude and thankfulness. They are obviously cornerstones of, of, you know, living a happy, joyful life, but man, do I hope and pray that we get to a place where women don't have to look at what they're owed and deserved and be thankful. It's just, it's second nature because listen, y'all deserve those investments and whether you want to be thankful or not, you deserve them. So finishing up here, um, in America, we love to obsess over people's highlight reels and wonder how they got to places and how they made it look so easy. And I'm not interested in the highlight reel. I don't think you learn much from people's highlight reel. So for you, Simone, what has been the lesson that's taken you the longest to learn in your career and how has that made you better, whether, you know, as a professional athlete or, or outside of sports, what's been a life lesson that's taken you the longest to learn, but you're most thankful for? Um, yeah, wow. That's a great question. Um, I, I think it probably revolves around fear in some aspect. I'm not really sure what words to put together, but, you know, something about how like everything that you want is on the other side of fear and that, uh, when you feel fear, I think it's important to run to it and to go to it because I think that it, it's a trigger inside you that shows you that something that you value is at stake or at risk. And if you run away from that, then whatever you value is getting farther away from you. So I think using fear, and making it productive rather than um, literally being scared of it and running away from it. Oh, love that. Using <laughs> fear and making it productive. That's so great. Last thing for you, Simone. Um, we, we've had dove into so many valuable topics here today. Finances, the investment into women in sports, all of these things. And so for you, I wonder what your hope is for the future of women in sports. I hope that it's not a surprise or it's not different or it's not even talked about. I hope that women and men in sports is just so equal and the same that there's not, there doesn't need to be any conversation about it anymore. Like, you know, women in sports, men in sports, there's not even really that big of a distinction because both genders are getting, um, you know, equal, equal benefits, everything of the sort, like, I just want the gap to close and I just want, you know, I don't want to wish that I'm a man that plays basketball. I don't want to wish that I played a sport that people care about. Like I want, there's enough people in America and enough niches that every sport should have um, a group of people that really care about it. And it's just the fact that uh, two or three sports are getting 
you know, are monopolizing the time on TV and, you know, radio, whatever, and so many sports are getting ignored. Um, I just want to spread the wealth and, you know, broadcast all of the beautiful sports and people that play different sports and not just three, because there's so much more than just baseball, football, and basketball. 100%. And you all are doing this, Simone, you are accomplishing that with this inaugural season with Athletes Unlimited. And again, I am so excited to watch, but I am also so thankful that you took the time today to come on Equal Play. Your voice is so valuable. And I know our listeners will hear this and learn something about women in volleyball, women in sports, women in general. So thank you so much, Simone, for coming on Equal Play today.